Hi, I'm Carolyn, and we've now decided I'm an Izzy slash Lexi. I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Pearl slash Moody. I'm Teresa, and I'm definitely just a Moody. And together, we are Big Little Podcast, here to talk about episode two, Seeds and All, of Little Fires Everywhere. Carolyn, you want to start us off with a recap? I'd love to. All right. So episode two kicks off with a flashback to 1983, where that old Chevy that Mia drives around in and possibly has lived in is now new. And Mia is having sex in it, as we find out with a baby Pearl in the back seat. Uh, Then we cut away back to 1997, and we find Madeline Martha McKenzie, a.k.a. Elena, packing lunches in perfect pastel bags and making initial pancakes for her sweet little children. And meanwhile, uh, Mia is painting Pearl's nails with homemade nail polish. Uh, Elena then sets her children up on the lawn for an awkward first day of school photo, during which I find myself wondering how close together in age are these fucking children? Irish twins. Yeah, sure. But anyway... Uh, so she lines them all up for a photo. Izzy is having none of it. She tries to push Pearl into the photo for some reason. Weird awkwardness all around. Then we get a great transition using Queen Latifah music (laughs) to go into a posh high school that looks like it's straight up the set of Clueless. Love it. Uh, everything is looking up until Izzy on her first day of high school just trying to make it happen, goes to her locker, and it's already been defaced with the Time, the the <laughs> classic Time magazine, Ellen, Yep, I'm Gay cover. This poor girl. Uh, also, before leaving for school, by the way, we learned that uh, Pearl has found out that her mom is off to become the house manager for the Richardson family, which is obviously... Uh, upsetting to her on so many levels. (laughs) So now, uh, while the kids are at school, Mia starts smoking some pot, doing her art, uh, while Pearl tries to register for advanced classes with the most racist, pretentious, judgmental prick of a school official (laughs) I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then... Um, Mia goes to work and uh, not Madeline Martha McKenzie confronts her about her references. Um, so not suspiciously at all, Mia sets up a co-worker from work to create a fake call. And uh, Mia does what we would all do in that house, which is snoop around. And she finds all sorts of salacious things like uh, Nicorette gum and penthouse magazines belonging to the husband and Valium, which I assume belongs to Elena. Uh, She also learns more about Izzy being this kind of alternative artist that is a she's finds like a kindred spirit with. And of course, they bond. Um... I found this a little bit suspicious, but also a little bit delightful. Uh, Bill comes home, a.k.a. Joshua Jackson, a.k.a. Pacey, um, and he has a awkward, crushy meeting with Mia in which he is all sorts of tongue-tied and probably just wants to jump her bones because it's a Thursday and he's not getting any anywhere else. Um, Then we cut to a dinner scene where we learn that uh, Lexi is going to Yale, well, hopefully, and 
she has to write her essay on hardship. And she is saying that she is going to write it about the time she didn't get cast in South Pacific. Boo-hoo. Uh, but I found this whole conversation ironic because I was like, oh, this is just foreshadowing. Don't worry, honey. You got hardship coming. Your house is going to burn down. Um, so in juxtaposition while they're all enjoying Mia's nice meal Mia is eating some shitty free Chinese food uh, where she ends up actually having to work she's at her work and she has to go to work because she steps in for a crying co-worker Um, the next day Elena wants to take on Pearl's class action of a getting into these AP classes as her, uh, you know, cause celeb, if you will. So she steps up in, again, a very uh, Madeline Martha McKenzie way and vows to go up to the school and take care of this. While she's taking care of someone else's daughter, her own daughter is having a fucking freak out and snaps, literally snaps, an orchestra baton in half. Uh, and her punishment is having to spend time with her mom and doing her mom's homework of reading the vagina monologues, which uh, she is preparing for her book group, her impending book group meeting. Uh, meanwhile, Elena is doing some digging on Mia and her fake references because she's all suspicious about that. So she has a fax sent, and instead of it going to her office, it goes to her home, where obviously Mia sees it first and realizes that she is not being trusted and, uh, you know, just going to be creating more awkward tension between these women. Then we get to the amazing Vagina Monologues book club scene, which we'd all been waiting for. And you can spot the author of the book, Little Fires Everywhere, in this scene. A little fun tidbit. Uh, so they're all going back and forth talking about what would your vagina say? And <laughs> Elena is clearly uh, illiterate. Uh, because she has not actually read this. She made her daughter read it and probably just skimmed it and calls it rompy, which if anyone has read or seen the vagina monologues, that is a ridiculous comment. Obviously, the other women are confused by it and start, you know, basically shaming her as they should. Um, She tries to defend herself saying that coochie schnorters is not an elevating uh, (laughs) literary dialogue in her mind. Uh, She goes into this whole discussion about the vagina being... For the purpose of motherhood, which then uh, shames the women in the room who are not mothers. Luckily, all of this awkward tension is broke by Mia chiming in in an amazing, you know, fuck you and showing her intelligence and depth. And she gets a nice conversation going or at least offers something intelligent to this room of wine swinging twats. Um, then... You know, she brings up the whole thing about how can we see where, how can we see who we are when we're afraid to look at who we are. Very interesting point. Um, meanwhile, just as Mia was snooping around the Richardson's house, Moody shows up at the apartment of Mia and Pearl and snoops around there and finds Mia's art and her pot. So the kids get high. <laughs> where we see more juxtaposition and learn that Mia is into free love while Moody knows that his parents set scheduled sex. And then they adorably write Kurt Cobain lyrics on each other's arms while laying there stoned. Um, Back to Elena and Mia. 
Elena is surprisingly gracious to Mia, who has just saved her from an awkward book club. And they come clean. Mia opens up about knowing that she was looking into her and gives her more of an explanation. They have wine together. And for the first time, you kind of think, okay, maybe these women are going to chill. Maybe I'm going to like these ladies because they're having a relatable moment where they're drinking wine and eating Ritz crackers. I was like, finally, something I can like about them. Uh, but of course, then Mia ruins this moment with some deep talk of monstrous art stuff and uh, opens up to, uh, and Elena then opens up to talk about her failure as a mom as she feels that Izzy doesn't love her. Um, this launches into Reese Witherspoon's monologue, which is for your consideration, Emmy nominee committee. Um, and she justifies this monologue by saying that's why she measures her wine. And I agree, if that's what wine does to her, she should probably <laughs> lay off the sauce. Um, they bring up Pearl in the conversation, and this is where Mia shuts down because clearly Pearl, her daughter, is off limits to this woman. Um, so they part ways back to that awkward tension, and a drunk Elena stumbles off to go look at her own vajayjay using a mirror. Um, oh, and we also learn that Pearl is definitely into that older brother who is now in that advanced math class. Uh, and Mia starts to connect with this woman, BB, at work as these plots get thick. And thank scene. you for that marathon of a. There is so much happening in these shows. We're going to, like, half these episodes are going to be just recaps of all the shit that goes down in these. Things. I tried to condense it, like Rebecca I said. I mean,. <sighs> There were so many things that I didn't even want to touch. I, I wanted to touch on it, didn't even. Um, so let's get started. This time, let's talk about the many contradictions of Mia Warren. And we will start with this scene from Whoa. hell of her fucking some random dude in the front seat of a Chevette while her daughter's asleep next to her and then not asleep. My first question is, what is the purpose of a scene like this? What What is this trying to yes, tell us about the character? Question. Like, I don't think there is anything we've learned in that scene that tells us anything that advances our, our reckoning with the character. You know, it's just a, an explicitly awful scene. So if they're trying to use that scene to tell us, like, Mia, you know, things aren't so black and white, like, Mia can be a bad person too, I, I just don't understand why this was the choice they made. It felt so vulgar, so explicit, and so out of character, frankly. Like, Mia can be, you know, on the edge of maybe slightly neglectful of her daughter, but she's still very, like, concerned with her well-being. I can't ever imagine the Mia that we've been set up to know in the book and even in the first episode boning with her baby in the backseat. It just feels very strange. So I feel like later in the episode when the kids are getting high and they're talking about their parents and uh, she says yeah. that her mom says that you can have sex with whoever and kind of is into this free love, I, I felt like that was... Like an attempt piece. to an ex to explain it, but like it didn't. Well, I feel That's... like there's a piece because there's in the I think it's in the first episode when she has that like kind of fever dream that she snaps out of where she was on a subway or like she's laying with her head in the lap of a woman, and uh and then you know now we see and she has that like tension with the man looking at her and now we see this scene in a car where she's having sex with a man. Maybe is this they're gonna be this whole like you know, very hypersexual past or even maybe still going on? Like, is she, is this something that they're setting up? And are she and the husband, are she and uh, Pacey going to be having an affair? Whatever his name is, Bill, you know, like, is that there to set up this like sexual tension there? I don't know. 
Well, so in terms of hypersexualization, like that's actually a huge break from the book um, that we mm. won't go into too much here. But I feel like, again, it's setting up Mia as a bad mother in a way that seems unfair. Like, I mean, this is egre- This is egregious, right? You take your, like, one-year-old baby daughter out in the middle of the night to an alleyway to, like, bang some dude in a car. Like, this isn't even in their home and the little girl, like, wakes up and walks into the bedroom or something. This is, like, this is grotesque. This, and, it's, and it's so much like, different than, like, oh, she's all about, you know, having sex with whoever you want. Sex shouldn't be a big deal. Being, like, sex positive is so different than, like, honestly, that is an act of, like, sexual abuse. Like, it, it's... It's so extreme and it's so divergent from the character. But is this like a difference from the book? Like, yes. I mean, again, have not read the book. Yes. There is was no possible? such scene in the book by any... Right. I mean, we'll talk about it in the book club episode. I don't want to get into it now, but it's the other end of the spectrum for the character. It is the but I'm absolute wondering, opposite are, of this. Have they retooled this character and is yes. this a part of this character? And maybe her previous work maybe at some point she was you know making money from sex maybe their their prostitution is part of this sort of they're building that that would be bonkers if that's if that's how they have changed the story like if that's like, the choice they made like that's a yeah. choice and it's really i really again you know we haven't talked about this too much because i don't want to get in it get into it too much until the book club episode but in the book Mia is not black and you know Rebecca and I have gone back and forth about this but I found some statements from Celeste Ng that make it very clear that she did not write Mia is black yeah okay cool I want to see and and so they've added race in here in a lot of ways that can be interesting but I think it's also really kind of tone deaf to just throw race in here as another thing and then also hyper sexualize right the like let's do like a black prostitute too to make this like really heavy-handed like that's what my concern right. throughout this is it's just i feel like they're like more is mm-hmm. more and it's just in the case of racially like exploring these dynamics that is not the answer yeah and it's unnecessary like it is. she can be artistic and artsy fartsy and not be like screwing random dudes in a car in front of her daughter like it's not that it's like, it was like shocking you, i was we shocked. got it i got okay? like it really was not yeah. expecting that scene to open the episode too it really took me by surprise and maybe that was the point they're trying to you know they know mm-hmm. it was a really popular book and there's got to be some like surprise factor so if this is their reimagining of the character i i guess but it just really does so- not align at all with the character in the book so again because i haven't read the book and because i'm you know coming into this as like a fan of big little lies and like that this is Mm -hmm. something yeah you know being marketed in that way when this show went into this moment in the start of this episode my mind at first because they said 1983 i did quick math and i was like oh this is the conception story of pearl then I was like jaw dropped when baby Pearl is in the back. And at first when mm-hmm. she said like something about a Pearl, I was like, oh, did she have a dog or something named Pearl before Pearl? <laughs> like I literally could not, I, I, it took me a second to accept mentally until they actually showed the baby. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. She just had sex with her baby in the fucking back seat. And yeah. are we prudes? Is there like people do that? Or is this like as appalling as we no, think? Like, people, this is appalling, right? I, I mean, there. I'm sure, you know, like, have you ever heard of co-sleepers? Like, yeah. those people who mm-hmm. sleep with their babies? Like, I don't think you can sleep with your baby for, like, three years and never have sex in front of them. Oh, but, God. Like, I mean, I at just le- wouldn't. I mean, that, 
No, yeah, I'm clearly it's... asexual. Clearly, as evidenced yeah. by episodes one and two, my sex drive is below zero. It's fine. Yeah. I'm great. I can't but... even have sex if my cat is watching. Yo, God. Like, but, let's... <laughs> but let's think about this for a minute. So at least in that scenario, you know, for probably millennia, people have been banging in front of their children, right? Probably. Because everybody lived in a one-room yeah. cave or something. But that's not what's going on here. This is some random dude in an alleyway. Mm -hmm. So you have now not just exposing your kid to sex, who really can't understand what's going on anyway, but you've also brought some random sketchy dude into the situation and into your tiny car. Who's comfortable having sex in front of a toddler, which would be a red flag for me right right off the bat. I feel like, (laughs) oh, so you're good with this? No. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... And then, so then they, then we see her smoking weed and making up fake references and snooping all over the house. And it's like this, this episode swings wildly to the other end of the spectrum, I think, in trying to make you think, oh, Mia is the problem. Mia is our, our antagonist. Elena. It's the other way. You know, episode right. one set us up totally to think that Elena was going to be the bad one. She made all these clumsy overtures. And then episode two, it really, you know, you see Elena being really sympathetic towards Mia and Mia really obviously hitting all of these bases of what's bad TM. And then also, you know, the show Mm -hmm. trying to explain that away, but not really, I think, doing a strong enough job of doing that. Because then on top of this, Mia continues to behave kind of like a dick the whole time. Like Mia is not being super warm. You get the sense that in the book club episode, she is doing it for a reason. Like, this is not like a genuine act. This is, you know, currency. Right. She knows that if she can do this, this is going to gain her clout with Mia or Elena. I keep messing their names up. So I, I do think that it's working hard to establish that she's supposed to be our antagonist. And I, you know, I struggle with this. It's it's definitely difficult as a watcher. And then we... St- and like, and the one thing you could have said before this, like, sure, she was kind of an asshole to everybody else. She can't even talk to poor Pacey about Ritz crackers and the meatloaf without being like kind of a dick about it. But like, at least she loved her daughter and like did the best she could as like a weird artsy fartsy kind of chick to take care of her. And then you, see, not only do you see this, her banging random dudes in the car next door, but then you get the scene where you know. Pearl is trying to talk to her about what's going on at school and not being able to take the class. And one, she basically refuses to help her or advocate for her in any way. And two, she just like gets up and leaves to go like find out what's going on with Bibi, who she like barely even knows at this point. And she just like abandons her in the middle of all of that to go deal with some other drama that has nothing to do with her. And you're like... And that was How supposed to be I queued up like you at all. I think that the BB <laughs> thing, right. they really cue that up to be like, oh, we're, you know, she is a good person. She does care about others. Look how selfless this deed is. Yeah. But it does feel mm-hmm. so far afield of what the show has then previously set you up to understand. And I, I get it. Like, we're trying to talk about dynamic women that are nuanced and have multifacets. But it's just not consistent. Like, it, this feels just like lazy writing and character building as opposed to mm-hmm. nuance and demonstrating that a woman can be artsy and sexually reckless and a good mother. Like, it, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like we're just going to throw everything at the wall and hope that you glean this yourself. I mean, I said in our episode one that I feel the Mia character and Carrie Washington's portrayal are so problematic that it it, it is... It is making it is making it hard for me to watch scenes that she is in and to like figure out her character and maybe that's the tactic here maybe we're like building towards something and and I'll see things differently but right now um I pretty much 
want to like tune out when she's on the screen. I feel bad for Kerry Washington because I think she really like is getting dealt. I think the betrayal so far of the character has been very heavy handed and not in a, a, you know, successful way. And it's too bad because it it was a really compelling character in the book. And Kerry Washington, I do find, you know, I I think you guys, you know, don't feel as much the same, but I I do think she's quite a compelling actress and I would have loved to see her I think she's so much more competent than what is happening in this show. I blame the writing. Yeah. Well, so I think this is a pretty good segue to, you know, I don't think we can talk about this show without talking about race and especially because they've chosen to put it in here even more so than it was in the book. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's hard to talk about Mia and Elena because you're like, are you just being guarded and bitchy and you're being uptight and snotty? Or is everybody here like on their on eggshells because there's a race issue going on? You can't, you don't know. So I wanted to talk about the kids instead. Um, so the place where we see plain, bold-faced racism in the show is through Pearl and this racist counselor who can just suck a dick. Like, this was so hard to watch, and I felt so bad for Pearl, who really doesn't have a mother who's willing to go to bat for her. Yeah, like, and she's there just trying to take care of herself, which, like, her mother has instilled in her, like, take care of yourself, do mm-hmm. it yourself. And this kid is there trying to say, look, I already took these classes. I I, I mm-hmm. want to take this class. And she's, you know, filling out her own, like, subsidized lunch forms and everything that he just wildly assumes she needs, by the way, which is right. a whole other mm-hmm. And that she's from Cleveland, puzzle. which. Yeah, yeah. Right. Ooh. Um. Mm-hmm. Which also, like, how does he not know? He's her counselor. Like, if she was one of the students, like, I I went to a high school where there were kids bussed in from a nearby city. Like, you didn't not know. But there were also other kids of color. You knew who was from town and who wasn't. It wasn't like you just assumed everybody was from somewhere else. Like, it's like, uh, like, how is it not in her file? Like like that scene in Mean Girls where they're like, Katie to the black girl the first day of school. And they're like, no, Katie's the ginger. She's the one from Africa. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, God, Um, we're off to a very racist start. What was that show, The Reasons Why? What, what, how many reasons why? Was oh, 13, 13 Reasons, reasons why? why. Yeah. That show, this scene reminded me of 13 Reasons Why because in that show, it is so it is so shocking and breathtaking when these kids like reach out to these adults at the school and like try to connect with them or go to them for even just simple things, how disconnected and fucking clueless all of these adults at that school are. There's a scene where the girl... Uh, who later commits suicide, goes to a uh, counselor at the school for help, and he basically dismisses her. And it is this, like, heart-wrenching moment in that series. And this was exactly like that to me. And I, I it, like, set off those same alarms of danger. Like, here, I mean, she's not there to, like, reach out for her own safety, but he just shut a door to her. This girl has, it, it is clear, like, nobody is going to be taking care of of her or helping at, at that in that school at least with him so it reminded me of that in a really like visceral way because that scene really stuck with me it also bothers me a- like so many other scenes when it's it just doesn't feel authentic it feels like a villainous portrayal and it doesn't feel like what a real guidance counselor you can you can portray a bad guidance counselor without making it so blatant like it was like this guy was just clearly not doing his job and just being flagrantly racist is that just 1997 is that how everybody was or is this just like over 
overproducing, overacting a character. I don't know. Well, you know what this the the sort of race relations portrayal of this show reminds me of is that movie Crash that oh, came out in totally. like the early 2000s, oh, yeah. which totally. was such a giant schlocky piece of garbage. It was unbearable. Um, I really don't. And funnily enough, I was just listening to Tandy Newton, who is in that movie, on Mark Maron, and I was thinking, oh, this is who I would have really liked to see play Mia. Like, she is yeah. really compelling, and I really like her. Um, but okay, so let's move on to another point of race relations, which is Brian and Lexi's relationship. Um, I think this is the first time we actually see him, and he has got a seriously oh. out of date, even for 1997, kid in play hair? flat top. Yeah, like it, like no, like it, late 80s, early 90s, maybe, but 1997, it was no like one the had Arsenio this hair Hall hair. I know. It looks oh, like oh God, Arthur's so friend. Uh, not Arthur, Jesus Christ. Arnold. Hey, Arnold's friend. It's exactly mm-hmm. his. He looks like he's kind of Hey, Arnold. Yeah. It's that exact. Um, kid from Kin and Play. This was like taken straight from his head. Um, but yeah, it's, one it's of the things choice. I think is interesting. That this is actually one of the black characters that Celeste Ng wrote into the book. Like he was black yeah. in the book, unlike Pearl and... Um, Pearl and Mia and so I'm wondering what you guys think about why it was important to give Lexi a black boyfriend basically I mean I haven't read the book uh so as far as this as far as this series like Mm -hmm. watching this I I would assume because I that's interesting that that is that character is written as black uh, because I assumed that that was like in place to kind of um, show that like this family that they to make them kind of like appear not racist, right. even though like Elena's character, you get that vibe, like the fact that they're like, oh, well, it's fine. Her boyfriend's black and they're all, you know, they're they're acting like that's fine. So that gives you the clue that this family is accepting. So mm-hmm. I thought that that was in place to make to kind of like throw you off the scent of racism with Elena. <laughs> um yeah, I think I think that's totally true and then you also in this it doesn't happen in the book but in the show it sort of gives Pearl a sort of I don't know black ally in the house for but she seems like totally not interested in it which is interesting mm-hmm. i think she's kind of like he's trying to like talk to her and he's like yeah these white people are crazy and she's like i don't know what you're talking about i love them and i think part of the reason for that is they, i don't think they've really touched on it so much in the show but in the book we get brian's background and he keeps calling his parents cliff and claire because they're the huxtables because one's a doctor and one is a lawyer and mm-hmm. it's made very explicit that he lives in shaker and is part of the shaker community and so it's also made explicit that he has a supportive family at home just like the richardsons right whereas mia not mia pearl is coming into this like thinking less about the race aspect of it all and just thinking like my god what it would be like to have the class privilege and just the sheer stability of the life that the richardson kids get to lead and they have they always have each other and they have parents who are willing to do pretty much anything for them why she can't even get her mom to listen to her or like complain a little bit about a problem she's having at school 
totally. I mean, that's spot on. Well, then, who needs to say anything else about that? Um, but that <laughs> mic drop. Teresa, <laughs> mic drop that one. The, um, but then also, and this is a really little point, but, um, you know, you mentioned in the recap, Carolyn, the scene in orchestra where this abusive ass teacher is screaming at this other girl in class and Izzy finally stands up for her and like gets in the teacher's face and snaps a bow. And in the book, the girl she's standing up for is black. And in yeah. the and in the show, she is not. And I thought it was interesting that now they're taking out that racial dynamic. Yeah, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they're That's... putting it in in places where it doesn't exist and taking it out in other places where it did exist. And um, I mean, they altered a lot. I, I, I'm wondering if it's working, too. I guess. I, I, Sorry, say that again. Well, wasn't I I don't want to again like it's, this is tough because I don't want to get too far into the book, but they altered other elements mm-hmm. of that scene, too. So if they're reframing yep. the whole scene, like fine. But I think that that was, you know, if this is a subject that we're going to be dealing with on many different levels and many intersections, why would you mm-hmm. remove it in that case when it was already there in the source material? And I thought that that was a really great dynamic. And is it really helped me understand Izzy more and where Izzy's kind of coming from with everything because she's seeing this mm-hmm. in so many different parts of her life. It's not like she's just getting micro right. racist undertones from her parents now and again and her older siblings. She's getting this on a systemic level, which is, you know, something that I think most people can attest to consciously yeah, or otherwise. And- yeah, that would and, have totally changed how I saw that scene and how that scene played out for me, for that character and for the layout of of the storyline. So it's really interesting that they chose to omit that. And it's all yeah, setting us think, up to think Izzy's more unstable and it's just like she's just crazy versus like Izzy's founded in the behavior she's displaying. Right, that right. she's actually standing up for something, and that her rebellion not that you know it's not good to rebellion. stand up to bullies regardless of race, but it's like right, it's a rebellion right. of point of views, not just like a rebellion for the you know purpose of rebelling, which is what we're seeing with Izzy right now in a lot of ways. And I mean, yes, granted, like if I had a mother like Elena, I would be rebelling all over the place. But for that scene to have had like you know where she was standing up for race issues that would have been really different so i wonder what the that is a that's that's fascinating to me so in let's move on to hardships because that's (laughs) a huge huge part of this um episode where um you know pearl turns to to elena for help um with this counselor and she asks her if she can read a letter that she's written she's written to him which um you know elena just kind of promptly says oh we don't need this letter i'll just go down there and yell at him and you'll be in whatever class you want to be in and then lexi steals the letter and repurposes Uh it for her yale admissions essay now first of all um you know we hear elena saying like i don't even like this question we've worked very hard to make sure our children didn't have any hardships and I just wanted to like smash her face into her plate at the dinner table. I was like, what? Like who you, you want to make sure your children have no grit and are incapable of overcoming any adversity. Good plan lady. How did this whole thing play for you guys? Uh, not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I think that, 
this is this was like one of those moments where I was like, well, again, not knowing the source material, I was like, how is this going to play out as this like friendship between Lexi and Pearl evolves and uh, Pearl kind of, you know, sort of folding into this family in this really weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, like another, another reference that this show is giving me vibes of. Did anyone see the movie Spanglish with Adam Sandler? And that was um, a messed up movie. That movie was really right. dark. It is really dark, but this show is reminding me of it so much because, um, I, I can't remember that actress's name. It is, um, is it Taya Leone? Well, she plays the wife, who right. is exactly a lot like this Elena character. Um, no, I'm trying to think of the actress who plays, um, I think it's Paz Vega. Is that? I, I'm pretty sure. I'm Googling. Paz <laughs> Vega. Yes. Um, she plays a woman who is a housekeeper for this, you know, pretty well-to-do family, Adam Sandler and Taya Leone. And she has a daughter the same age as the daughter who is always being you know, picked on by the Taya Leona character for not, for, you know, kind of being chubbier and not, you know, mm-hmm. not what the mom aspires to be. And um, they, they, it, it is an interesting movie and it plays out so far. There are so many parallels in these two mothers with teenage daughters and their kind of, their relationships that are wrought with friction, but then how they can relate to the other person's daughter in a very mm-hmm. uh, connected way. But then the additional conflicts that that causes on top of all their like race and class issues. So I think it's interesting to, if you have spe- seen Spanglish or if you haven't seen it, give it a relook as you're considering this show, because there is a lot there. It plays with a lot of the same stuff and a lot of the same, um, tension and 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 concepts it's interesting to me Hmm. but that this this whole part in general reminded me of a lot of stuff in from that film i also think so it's sort of um so there's a similar storyline in the book but in in the book pearl is more complicit in it and Mm -hmm. lexi doesn't come across quite as shitty um and it's and so for a while there, I was wondering, how are these two ever going to become friends the way they need to be for the story to play out? Rebecca, did that? Did you think about that at all? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've not seen enough of these characters interacting yet. I, I think they've been kind of kept apart, which the book to some extent did. It mm-hmm. definitely started off with Pearl and Moody kind of having their own relationship. And that becomes complicated mm-hmm. in and of itself is that then Pearl begins to form relationships with other members of the family so I think there's a lot that we still haven't seen yet, given we're only two episodes in, and that will be resolved. But I was surprised, correct me if I'm wrong, Teresa, but I don't remember uh, Lexi stealing the the college essay. Did that happen? In the no, she, do- she doesn't steal it. Um, Pearl offers to help her with it. Yeah. And everyone around them is kind of clear that Pearl actually wrote it, and no one yeah. really says anything. But I don't think but it was she- as explicit as Lexi taking no. something without Pearl's consent, which, again, like, no, that's a Mm-mm. strange choice to make, to change yeah. that. And seems to be inviting, again, more of this, like, racial dynamic that they're creating for the show. And as we've just discussed, they've removed another one for whatever reason. So I, I just think that my biggest problem with this at this point is some of the choices that are being made, whether it's in editing or the actual construction of translating this to television. I, mm-hmm. I'm confused at some of the 
the choices they've made for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's time for the vagina to have a monologue, well, ladies. Um, I'm going to drink my rosé with gusto in preparation for this. First of all, can we just talk about how much Reese Witherspoon loves a damn book club? Oh, my like, God. Oh, my God. Girlfriend <laughs> lo- she... loves a book club. She can we start a chill. podcast on Reese's love of book clubs? Yeah, I think DM so. DM us if you're interested in that content while you're coronavirus quarantining. Yeah, I, I feel like she is really trying to push people into embracing reading and, and mm-hmm. or like some... I almost feel like on her part that this is like some sort of like way to come across as really like smart and 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 more like challenging and not just being this like actress because when you think about like young Reese Witherspoon you think of these like you know those like cute ditzy characters she played and I think there is a lot more to her I think she is Mm -hmm. a very smart woman but I think this is like an aggressive push to show everyone how smart and well-read and you know analytical she is as opposed to you know this bubbly actress listen I'm all Um, for anybody that's going to make reading and social reading cool like, if you want to have yeah. that be your platform to get more people engaged in, like, getting together, drinking wine and reading books, or in our brave new world, getting together over Skype and reading books and drinking, <laughs> I think that's great. I'm, I, you know, there are worse things. There are worse actresses out yeah, there. Yeah, there are definitely of... worse things, but I'm just kind of like, I'm yeah. over the book club thing. Sure. I'm over it. Let's find something I, else. To... Hashtag Reese's book club. <laughs> I think there's something very 90s about a book club, though. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, because, like... I feel like that's when I first started hearing about them. That's when they started putting, you know, the questions for the book club in the back of the book. Oh, like, yes. They don't really do yes. that anymore, and I miss it. Thank I always God. like to be challenged. No, I love that. I was like, oh, how much did I get out of this? No. Yeah. I always, like, just, I'm like, I just want to read the book and, like, process it and maybe discuss it with somebody. I don't need, like, everything to turn into, a, like, a goddamn AP lit assignment. Oh, see, that's my wet um, dream. Yeah, that's your wet dream. But uh, book clubs in, I remember, and it was around, it was, like, in the 90s, early 2000s, that book, Book of Ruth, came out. And mm-hmm. my mom and her friend heard, saw, like, a sign in a coffee shop about, a like, a it was like a book club, like a women's discussion group about Book of Ruth. And they like brought a bottle of wine and their Book of Ruth, the like fiction novel. And they showed up and it was like a Bible study about like the actual Book of Ruth. Oh, um, God. <laughs> and they were very... Classic uh, mix up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a very big mix up and they were incredibly humiliated. And I always think of that with book clubs. Um, well, I also think Madeline Martha McKenzie would have been all over the vagina monologues mm-hmm. at this time. So I want to know why Elena, who is like performatively woke, is not into the like, this was everywhere. You could not get away from the vagina monologues in the 90s. So like how, I, I don't understand what her problem is really. Like I know Madeline would have been, you said it. She's Madeline not Martha McKenzie would have been performing it, having it performed at that little theater with her, you know, Avenue Q puppets doing the sexings. Yeah. Yeah, um, this is her Avenue Q. This could have Yeah. So I feel like this is uh now is the vagina monologues part in the book? In the book of Little Fires Everywhere. No, no. Mm-mm. Interesting. I don't remember. So I think I they wonder... might reference it at one point in like a because th- I, I, I do think I was conscious yeah. of that because I remember when the vi- the vagina monologues was performed every year in my college and I graduated college in yeah, twenty thirteen and it was like Every year, the Vagina Monologues was cast, and it happened, and I went to a Jesuit college, so it was kind of like, whoa, risque, vaginas. Yeah. <laughs> they said vagina in the public email, how fun and zesty. 
So I was very much on my consciousness. So I do think there was like a throwaway line between the friends um, whose name I can never remember, Mrs. McCullough and yeah. Elena talking about like someone's radical book club choice. But there was never actually a dedicated mm-hmm. scene extrapolating on how it all went down. And I thought it was a great scene. I, it's the first time I really felt like Elena and Mia felt like real people and not just kind of like caricatures of their pers- like respective motherhoods. One being, you know, suburban. This the other was a being- scene where... I feel like we got to kind of see this was this to me. And then the start of the scene where they're drinking wine together were Mm -hmm. the first glimpses of like Mia beyond that. Like I smell trash face. It was humanity versus character. (laughs) Yeah. It really felt like the kids have been delivering all season so far. Like the kids have been getting it and the adults haven't. (laughs) Right. She was participating in a conversation in a way where she wasn't just giving these little answers to show that she was locked up. She actually opens up and, and shares something and gives food for thought. Um, well, can I, I want to ask you like a very specific question about this scene because um, I very proudly named this next segment smoking endo sipping on gin and juice, oh. because I want to talk about <laughs> like, <laughs> you spoke to my soul. That is everything. Oh my gosh, yes. Smoking endo. So, um, th- sort of the beginning of this wine drinking scene with Elena and Mia are, um, Mia sorry, basically- I can't stop laughing at that. <laughs> yeah. so Mia, Mia comes clean and tells her, like, I've never been arrested, but I did have to break my lease, yada, yada, yada. You know, when people see a single black mom, they don't want to run to me. You're different, and I should have been honest. Does she mean this? Does she no, mean she was, believes Elena's different? No, that was a very, I thought at that moment, because yes, I said like, this is where she's opening up. But that was her, I think, just like fishing in this situation. She was not being genuine. I think she was just, I, I think that was Mia's like microaggression of trying to like just move past a situation. That's how I read that. Maybe it was her delivery, but I felt like she was yeah. just like trying to, you know, make placate this a mm-hmm. little bit. I felt the whole scene was that, that Mia knew what she was doing. This was very intentional. Mm-hmm. She knew she saved Elena from the situation that Elena was going to feel bad for her. And it allowed her to get the situation back under her control. Because before that, it was kind of spiraling out of control. Elena was actively looking into her past and Mia was worried she was going to be exposed. So it's like, okay, how do I switch the situation back into my control? I get this woman drunk. We conspire. We connect. And then I placate her. I, I come clean. You know, there's nothing that's better to assuage someone than by telling the truth, even if it's not the whole truth. So by saying, you know, oh, it's just been so mm-hmm. difficult for me. She's confessing without giving her the whole story. And that, in her mind, is enough to throw Elena off the scent. We shall see in the coming episodes whether, you know, Elena is a good journalist or a bad journalist. Yeah. So then we also hear... so. Alina asks Mia, like, do you think Pearl likes you? And Mia says, I've never thought about it. And Alina says, that's because she does. As in, like, you don't have to think about it because your daughter likes you. But meanwhile, we've got this sort of parallel scene of Moody and Pearl smoking weed back at Mia's place. Can we just and call I'm it Endo sure. now, please? Because you've, yes, you've gone they're there. Smoking they're endo. smoking Endo. <laughs> uh, um... And I'm kind of like, I'm not sure Pearl does like you all that much. She's getting to the age where she's really starting to resent your bullshit. 
Yeah. What do you guys think? No, totally. Like Pearl's getting woke to her own mother's bullshit. Like I think to have mm -hmm. a cool mom is cool until you reach that age when everybody else is resenting your mom and you're like, whoa, 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 my mom. Yeah. Mm. I, I met a girl who's had a mom like that and it was just crazy to talk to her, like her filling in the role of parent from a young, young age yeah. because her mom was out clubbing and then, you know, coming home drunk and she didn't have any interest in doing in that. And I think that's kind of where Pearl's at. Pearl's like, oh, you want to smoke weed? Go for it, you cute little Moody. Like, I'm just going to sit here and be chill and we can write Kurt Cobain lyrics on our arms. And Moody's like clearly high for the first time. So I, mm -hmm. I think when you do have a parent like that, you know, you always want what you can't have. And to have a parent that's like, yeah, cool. You want to drink responsibly. You want to smoke responsibly. Like, I don't really give a shit because I'm going to not, you know, alter my behavior. It just takes the mm -hmm. fun out of it, which is honestly probably a good parenting technique. Like, it was very clear <laughs> in college. The kids who had parents that never let them do anything and the kids that parents would be like, oh, whatever, you know, <laughs> be responsible. Big difference. You know, and as Carolyn told us in the recap, like, um, this is where... Pearl kind of open, opens up and says, you know, she hides stuff like yeah. about why we go where we go, why we move, who she sleeps with. And she says sex doesn't have to mean anything but sex. Like, so we kind of know that like Pearl is aware that her mother is still sleeping with random dudes, but that she's also kind of hiding it. Yep. And like, even if you could have made an excuse for the one-year-old because the one-year-old doesn't know what it's seeing, like she now very much knows what's going on yeah. and Mia is doing nothing to like protect her from that reality. Um, meanwhile, what I want to know is why Pearl and Moody are like smoking bowls, scrawling Nirvana lyrics on each other while lounging on some sexy ass pillows, but they're not even making out. Like, yeah. I don't understand what's going on here. Like how, like, e even if you don't really like each other, you're high as shit for the first time. Like having this like super romantic moment and nothing happens. This is crazy. And nothing, I mean, again, I, this is so tough to talk about. We should have done the book club episode first, mm -hmm. but there's not as much explicit sexual tension between them. And no. like these two characters, no. I'm like, can you just kiss already? Oh my God. I don't know if it's like I did. Lexi Underwood emoting and Moody just being like extra sweet. And, you know, I, I mm -hmm. want to see these characters connect. And yet, you know, it, it feels so teenage, I guess, in a way too. Like I, I can see the hand holding and not wanting to do more if you're stoned when you're 14. I mean, they're, they're kids. These are much younger mm -hmm. than like, you know, a 16 year old totally would make out a 14 year old. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And they're in Ohio. Yeah, that's kinda... They're in Ohio, people. This is not, you know, <laughs> New England. This is Ohio. Yeah. I think you probably do like an OTPHJ for like your senior prom, and then that's it. I I thought that too. I was like, oh, you know, they're young. This is like kind of sweet, and they're just. But I also think like at this point, Pearl is already so into that older brother that she was like trying to like yeah. not give off those vibes. And if there was any like movement towards that, she yeah, she wants Ryan Atwood, I... not Seth Cohen. Yeah, and like who and can I blame think, her? Like, and Moody is a respectful young man. Like, he's clearly raised well. And he's, and he's sensitive. Polite. And so, nobody like, wants to sensitive. date a sensitive boy when they're 14. Right. Mm. Yeah, poor All Moody. Right. He'll get his in college. Right. Don't worry, Moody. Yeah, oh, he's going to get there. He's going to be mopey. He's going to have that guitar, yeah. and the girls are going to be all gonna over be him. He can play time. the Toad the Wet Sprocket yeah. song. Oh, that was a, another <laughs> 90s moment. I'm like, did we need to bring up Toad the Wet Sprocket? Was that essential? Uh, you always need to bring up Toad the Wet Sprocket. Oh, I guess. Um, I had a car, my car in college, 
I had a CD get stuck in it, so that was like the only CD that would play, and it was like a mix CD, and it had that Toad the Wet Sprocket song was like the first one. So every time I turned on my car, that's what would just start playing. <laughs> That's awful. Oh, God, the 90s were the worst. Um, yeah. All right, so I think we also have to talk about motherhood because if there's any theme that runs through Reese Witherspoon's recent career choices, it's motherhood. It's relationships between mothers and daughters. And um, we're, you know, and in this one explicitly, because the seeds and all name of this episode refers to this monologue that, Reese, uh, Elena has about how like being the mother of a teenager is kind of like learning to learning to be satisfied smelling an apple when all you want to do is eat it seeds and all which is creepy as oh, shit yeah. like but I get your I get your point I get your Emmy bait there um, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon Shady. This episode's but, um, Moment of Shade was brought to you by Teresa. <laughs> yeah. We're, but so in this and in Big Little Lies, we're constantly being asked, what is a good mother? Who's a good mother? Who's a bad mother? And although I don't want to go into it too deep yet, because when BB's story comes full circle, we're going to learn a lot more about that and have a lot more to talk about. But as of right now, like, if you had to pick a mother for yourself, would it be M Mia or Elena? Oh, Mia. Smoke that endo all day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is in my mind, they're more similar than dissimilar in a lot of ways. Mm, mm. They're both not moms that you're getting. You're getting the same kind of, it almost feels like conditional love from both both of them in some ways and there are like yeah. weird expectations I mean it's kind of a you're you're sort of fucked either way with one of them as your mom yeah, like I don't disagree. so yeah I I don't even I wouldn't even have a preference but think like, about like, long-term issues somebody that's going to actually like help you take care of your issues and like provide resources versus someone who's going to like shame and repress you let's take a pick but you know what like Elena would actually go to bat for her kids I think maybe in, like, she, an academic context, but in, like, the case of Izzy, she's not. And Izzy's the one that, like, clearly needs the most support. Well, right. this is interesting because you got, you guys haven't watched see, uh, episode three yet, right? No. no. Well, there is a scene in episode three that we'll talk about when we get there that I actually think, you know, Mia, Mia is repressive in her own way. Like, um, if you don't, con like, if you want to be, you know... Artsy. Pearl, yeah, like if you don't want to be what Mia thinks is cool, then she's going to be disappointed in you. Oh, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think Carolyn has a good point that they just have different ideas of what's acceptable, but they, they both, both have still, ideas of yeah, what gonna, you know, what's what is acceptable. That? Their parents that that ditto they fuck you up either way something. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you're going to end up in therapy with either of these moms. Most but moms. Most, like, everyone's mom. Literally, yeah. every time I go to therapists, it's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to talk about something else. By the end of it, my mom. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't listen to this podcast, so I don't have to be worried about it because she doesn't <laughs> care about me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so, but by the end of this, I think, like, 
you know, drunk Elena is letting down that veil of perfection and is really kind of likable where Mia is still really guarded and closed off Mm -hmm. and, you know, throws up that wall. Yeah. Yeah. And she, yeah, she seems like she's just never any fun. Even when she's smoking weed, she's still like, oh, I'm going to work. I guess I'm so desperate to connect with her that like, even in that moment when I know she was performing intimacy, I still felt more connected to her than I had the whole rest of the episodes like I I felt that moment mm. them sitting on the couch was the first time they really were looking at each other woman to woman without all of this pretext I agree there was it. a moment there yeah. and, and yeah. especially you know like I said they're eating Ritz crackers and drink, drinking white wine I was like I'm here for this I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> and then and then Mia shut down and it was funny because Elena did open up and you almost wonder in this like alternative universe where like Mia had stayed and just gotten like shit faced with her and they were both looking at their own vaginas in mirrors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, like there. Because that there was such is... a delightful scene with her giggling over her vagina afterwards. I'm oh, like, my God. Who hasn't been yeah, there? That, vaginas that are crazy me, looking. I, I where she has to, you know, she has her like little fit and flare dress hiked up. I was like, oh, it's my so God. It's so cute. This. Um. Yeah, and that whole part about Pearl having done a series of her own vagina in the 20s yeah. when she was just, like, taking pictures. Oh, my God. Everybody right. does that in their 20s. You didn't do that? I know. <laughs> Check out my camera no, uh, roll anytime. Uh, oh, God. I'm kidding. I've never, I've never ever, ever looked tomorrow. at my home vagina. I have an English mother. Please. I would never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what? You guys have, again, I think I know what you guys also, are Also, in say. her defense of that, though, by the way, as a, <laughs> I was an art history major in college, mm-hmm. and that she would have been, in the 80s, you you had a boom of that kind of art. Um, oh, God, yeah. You know, where that was a big, that was a big part of things. Uh, so, uh, like, with Lisa Lyon and, and Maple Thorpe and all of that. So, I feel that... It's to me that like knowing art history in the period that she would have been of as an artist that I was like, yeah, that seems about right for her. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right. So before we get into 90s spotting, let's talk about the song of the episode. What was it for you, Carolyn? Oh, it's probably the same one for all of us, but the Queen Latifah's U-N-I-T-Y. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll well, make a pitch for Femme Fatale, Velvet Underground. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take all that right. one. That was the weed smoking song, so guilty as charged. Yeah. Well, the I also had the Queen Latifah song in part because we find out, like, we hear the song, which for the, I started, like, Googling what year things came out because I was like these some of these references don't really match up for yeah. me um and Queen Latifah um that song actually came out in 1993 hmm. so at this point it's four years old so it's a it's a little bit of a weird choice and then um and then we find out that it's what's Lizzie uh, what Izzy is listening to in her earphones and I'm like there is no way like this mopey ass emo kid is not listening to Queen Latifah on her way like a four-year-old yeah. song nonetheless she is definitely listening to as we talked to about last episode Tori Amos like 
uh, Ani DeFranco, like maybe if she's in a good mood, she might listen to some Indigo Girls or something. But like, <laughs> what she is might up throw with our some... impulse to make like young kids super, you know, savvy and versed in music? I don't. We saw this in Big Little Lies. We've I don't seen know. This in, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like, why is that signifying cool all of a sudden that you have like deep cut obscure references? Like, no realistic fourteen year old would know that. It's silly, right? Nonsense. And I feel like it's, it's. It's almost not a, I mean, I guess it's a deep cut in that she would have been, like, nine at the time it came out. Yeah. But, like, yeah. if you can name a Queen Latifah song, it's probably UNITY, right? So, like, it's not even that obscure. So, like, I don't know. I just was really, like, they really missed the mark here. There's no way this kid wasn't listening to super sad music. Yeah. And See, I took it as a different, I took it as like transition music and scene setting music for the high school, like as they cut mm-hmm. to the high school and just showing that high school and kind of establishing like a period and uh, like the era and then also establishing the fact that this is like a high school that is predominantly white, but is like you know, cool and into this like Queen Latifah hip hop. And then like mm-hmm. she had headphones on and I assumed that under her headphones was exactly that, like Tori Amos, you know, mm, interesting. girl cry rock. So like I kind of had them separated. I did not see that as her music that she was listening to. Hmm. Cause it, did it cut out when she like took off her headphones when she like opened her locker? What it- what it did is when it came to her and you see her with her um, earphones in, it stops sounding like the music that's being cast over the whole scene and starts sounding like it's in her headphones. Oh, so I missed that because I was like too busy kind of like guffawing at the Ellen cover, yeah. which I can remember that coming out. I mean, not that that would happen to her because that's obviously mm-hmm. incredibly homophobic that children are doing that mm-hmm. to her. But I was like, oh, my God, I remember that cover. So probably yeah. in that moment I got lost in the you know, memory of all that. Um, all right. I don't know, but I, I do love that Queen Latifah song. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So 90s spotting. I, I want to go first because I want to know if you guys remember this. Um, the music teacher who is being abusive towards everybody played Delia Fisher in a couple episodes of My So-Called Life. And really? she was in... Yes, and she was in love with Brian Krakow and wanted to go to a dance with him, but but he was too busy being obsessed about Angela Chase, and so he doesn't take he like ignores her the whole dance or something, and then she ends up dancing her ass off with Ricky on the <laughs> on the um, dance floor, and it's the ninetieth thing that has ever happened, <laughs> and therefore the ninetieth thing about this episode. Um, oh my do you God. guys even remember who I'm talking about? First I, I have, Rebecca, I, have you I ever seen it? I haven't understood the last, you know, two minutes of what you've said, but <laughs> I'm laughing along. It's fun for me, no less. Um, that's We're so going to have to do... I would have not recognized her from that. Um, by the way, that actress whose name is Senta Moses. Yes. Great, mm-hmm. great name. Senta Moses is an actress Home name. And Home Alone too. She plays one of the siblings. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. she was on yeah. Beekman's World, which was one of my favorite shows for some reason. If anyone watched Beekman's World, it was like a Bill Nye the Science Guy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you want to talk um, about Bill Nye the Science Guy, I can give you episode by episode recaps starting. Well, now. yeah, Beekman's World was like the zanier, less brainy, but still fun and science What's zanier than um, Bill Nye? He's oh, yeah. Super yeah, zany. Beekman's World was batshit. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, that's an interesting character. I would have not, I would have not recognized her or put that together. And it's also the been, I have not watched my so-called life. I've never gone back to revisit that. I have not watched it since I watched it. This is going to have to be a podcast because I'm getting, I'm understanding that Rebecca has never seen my so-called life. Is that never, correct? Never. Oh okay. You haven't watched it since it aired when we were probably in like middle school. Oh, that's a bad topic for sure. I, I have rewatched it and there's another podcast out there about it, but oh, I wow. feel like we could do a different spin on it. Anyway. Yeah. Oh my God. So yeah, that's amazing. Um, so for me, my 90s moment here in this episode uh lexi's back to school day one outfit that like share <laughs> horowitz number um mm -hmm. that was some 90s glory and then um the i i loved the kurt cobain lyrics the arm writing of the lyrics because i feel Do like we know what lyrics they were i didn't look close i didn't one get to like go are. in that deep okay I, one was literally was. yeah it, no yeah. literally hers was that and i rolled my eyes but like there whatever. you go <laughs> but 14 just, i forgive them yeah it wasn't just that it was like nirvana lyrics but like that do you remember doing that like i remember like you would like write lyrics on like your shoe like, yeah i remember like, doing it on my converse for sure on your converse yeah, yeah. or on each because the converse like, were just asking for it they had that big white yeah. strip you were like of course i'm gonna write my emo lyrics on it right <laughs> or on your like your trapper keeper like that like didn't that have five star binder thing you would write lyrics and um so it just felt like such a thing even even as aol instant messenger took off like your away message would be like song lyrics oh god yeah like, you were so mm -hmm. deep so i just that moment in itself felt very like 90s to me that took me back to all these memories of that that kind of era and that way of expressing that like teen i'm using music lyrics to sound deep and feel kind of thing Rebecca, well my two what's your 90s moment everything i remember is in terms of food and television so mine are uh <laughs> them running out of slim fast in the fridge slim fast. <laughs> what happened to slim uh -huh. fast i remember i don't think we ever had it in our house but i was very conscious of people drinking that all the time like people like jogging and mm -hmm. carrying it like slim fast had a moment the for television it was uh lexi talking about buffy being recorded and it being a rerun uh, and the new one coming out and it just really got me thinking like the times when people really had to watch television when it aired like i remember watching oh, yeah, ER, the buffy reference i meant and then you had to like too. there were commercials and you actually just couldn't do anything about it there was no pausing your television you just could go and pee and if you missed it when you came back it was just too late i mean that was a high stakes watching experience that we just will never experience mm -hmm. again <laughs> oh my god like yeah you would go to the bathroom and you're like my i can remember my brother like screaming at me like it's back and he yeah really like aborted mission and pulled up your pants and yep it. yeah <laughs> simpler times yeah well um in our last episode we got so carried away yelling about the dave matthews band and some guy named we trip dickie that away. um we forgot to do our highbrow lowbrow recommendations um, um i have a i have a real honey all right, you go you first, go first then. I had to think of one. Okay. So this is so lowbrow, and it's so amazing, and it's such a gift to the world right now from Netflix, as we have talked about, as we are all shut-ins right now during this coronavirus madness. Go on Netflix immediately and watch Tiger King. 
Oh my god, <laughs> I can't even. I first of all, I've watched the first episode, but have you listened to the podcast about it or like no, any of no, the no, other no, stuff? No. About? Watched, oh my god, I, I have two more episodes left to watch. I've been allowing. It came out on Friday. Today is Sunday. I've been allowing myself to consume this slowly, so I have a reason to get up every day. It is so ridiculous. I mean, you have like a a poly, like a, a polygamous relationship with this you know, gun-wielding, mullet-having, tiger-collecting man. You have a crazy cat lady who may or may not have fed her husband to a tiger. You Jesus. have a guy who has, like, a sex cult uh, that's quasi-yoga-religious where he has, like, women dressed in, like, leopard unitards um, surrounding <laughs> him. I, I, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, and it is so... It is so batshit and so wild. Like every turn, you're just like, "What the fuck?" And I, you are you are welcome I, for those of you who have not heard about this yet and are now gonna go and watch this. Just I, enjoy. Save I it. also want to encourage everybody once to Google Joe Exotic 2016 presidential candidate oh, because yeah. he uh, way back in 2016. No, no, no. I, I remember. Don't get oh. away. There's a whole uh, episode like four. It goes into that. And the less you know, the more you're going to enjoy that episode. Okay. This? I, this guy is so insane. Carolyn also failed to mention that he's actually, he's gun-toting with a mullet in a polygamous relationship, but he's also gay. So it's a gay polygamous relationship. Oh, right. I meant so to and Yeah. Yes, I mean, Carolyn didn't even think that was just like, just like, oh yeah, gay polygamy, here for it. I mean, yeah. among all the other things, it's yeah. like, but like don't even bad at all. Seriously, but, like, oh yeah, cool, yeah. love it. But when you hear gun-toting mullet, I don't think you first think gay. No, so I, I think did that's not. an important that changes part everything. Uh, to throw. I'm much that. more interested now than I was before. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just, it's so precious. Like, thank you, Netflix. Mm-hmm. And, and and the team that brought us this because my, I can't my wait. life has been made better because of this. I don't even it have really... a highbrow recommendation right now. I just read, I mean, the last, I, I think I recommended um, in our trailer podcast, which we may or may not release as our hidden podcast here. Um, I Close friends only. On, yeah, I recommended The Stranger on Netflix. And I guess mm-hmm. if I'm going to give a highbrow recommendation, I have uh, gotten into reading a couple. Harlan Coben, he's the author of that. I've read a couple of it, three of his books recently, including The Stranger, which is very different than what Netflix, than the, the series. They've made some interesting choices and twists. Um, but if you're looking for some good thrillers to just kind of devour, they're real fast reads and they're they're interesting. I mean, they become formula, you know, there's there's a formula that he follows. Um, but, and it seems that his big thing is like secret revealing. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of always this like secret looming, but they're they're a good read. They're they're overall very they're 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 something fun to take in again for us shut-ins if you want something that is that is uh gonna hold your interest in and keep you pay- turning the page go in for that are they great literature absolutely <laughs> not but we'll call it we'll call it my highbrow one because my mind has just been blown and destroyed by tiger king so i can't even i can't focus on anything else <laughs> 
I can't wait. Rebecca, have you come up with something yet? Yes, I have. So I'm going to give you like a highbrow, lowbrow science fiction theme. Give it to me. So Mm. my lowbrow is on HBO. So is it really lowbrow? Probably not. But the comedy is. And that is Avenue 5. Um, Oh, yeah. I I watched a couple episodes of that. It's silly. And it gets your mind off of what's going on. And my highbrow sci-fi counterpart to that is Devs, which is on FX. But also uh, FX is partnering with Hulu. So if you've got a Hulu subscription because you're watching Little Fires Everywhere with us, you can definitely watch mm-hmm. Devs too. It's super weird. Nick Offerman plays like a tech science guy. Mm-hmm. And I really honestly could not tell you one yeah. thing that's happened in one episode. It's highly confusing, but very compelling and aesthetically beautiful. So Devs and Avenue 5 for all my science fiction friends out there. And then I'm going to give you a midbrow just for fun. Uh, because everyone's stuck at home. And that is High Fidelity on Hulu. Uh, I just had to watch it as a nose assignment, which is the culture podcast, or culture radio program that the three of us occasionally do. And it's got Zoe Kravitz as the lead, giving us a performance that we all wish she'd been able to give in Big Little Lies. It's just fantastic. She's really <laughs> able to like show her breath as an actress, and she just slays it. And there's a cameo by our beloved Jeffrey Nordling, a.k.a. Gordon Klein, playing another <laughs> dirtbag. And I was so excited. Oh. And it's a dirtbag who has a record collection, and his wife is... Parker Posey, and it's just great. So if you're not watching High Fidelity, it's on Hulu. Check it out. It's great. I actually ran a poll this week on Instagram, and I think like 90% of our followers have already watched it. So maybe we should do a podcast on High Fidelity. I don't know. DM us if you're interested. Um. Because you mentioned Hulu, it it reminded me of something I watched a couple months ago that I really loved. And I don't know that I would call it lowbrow, but since it's reality TV, I'm I'm going to put it there. It's, um, you also mentioned Nick Offerman. And Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler have a um, show called Making It, where they oh, have yes, all different kinds. Yeah. yeah. They have all different kinds of crafters come on and they have challenges. It's kind of like Project Runway or The Great British Baking Show, but for people who are into arts and crafts basically and it is so sweet and so lovely and amy and nick are genuinely really hilarious with each other and with the contestants and they like do these weird songs at the end of every episode where whoever's gotten kicked off has to come and play an instrument with them (laughs) and they sing along and like that's so great and 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 the challenges are just really great and really fun, too, um, because they're so different. It's not just like, you know, in Project Runway, it's like, okay, it's up on God this gonna time. Be, yes, it's, it's going to be a dress. Yeah. from your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or even on Great British Baking Show, which I love, like, it's always going to be food. But in this one, it's like, this week you're designing a cubicle. And this week you have to... Um, I don't know. I'm trying to this think. This is like, such a great recommendation. I'm going to go right offline and watch this. Yeah, it's so it's really just really great comfort watching. I think we um, could all use that. And then because um, Hulu went and dropped three episodes of this Little Fires Everywhere on us, I'm going to say we're never getting around to the trailer episode again. So um, I'm going to use one of my recommendations from that, which was um, Hunters on Amazon, which is. Um, a show about Nazi hunters in the 70s and it's kind of comic booky at times and it's it is weirdly funny for a show about hunting Nazis and um, 
I just really, really like it. It had us really engrossed. We're maybe a couple episodes from the end and I was up way too late for me because I'm an old person. Um, last night watching episodes of it so I you know there's been some controversy around it but whatever I think it's a good show just watch it with that we will um, see you soon for episode three of Little Fires Everywhere Mm -hmm.